Hello and welcome to Be a B2B Leader. I'm your host Felician and I'm a marketing manager who wants to learn more about business, marketing and leadership. Today our guest is Tomek Ogrodziński. He has over 10 years of experience in various B2B companies with roles from UX for research, insights and analytics up to strategy, which is his current focus. Tomek will share with us his business experience and explain how you can understand the context you are in. So let's get started. Hi, Tomek, and welcome to the show. Hi, Hi Felician. Uh, thanks for having me. So let's jump straight in. Like, based on your experience, what's the biggest piece of advice you would give someone who wants to become a business leader? Yeah, and it's uh, here I'm always very careful. Um, because uh, I really think context is key. Um, it's, it bothers me where I see uh, universal advice being given um, because I really think uh, the deepest experts, the companies which are very successful, it's because they have a deep understanding of their own situation and the context around them and they can choose the tactics and strategies which are the perfect fit. Uh, so these tactics and strategies, like they're, they're not universal, they're not um, simply good or effective. Uh, they're good or effective in that particular context. So I, I, I think the biggest piece of advice I can I can give is is mind your individual context and and be careful uh, around just copying uh, set patterns. Um, and and there's some there's some ways to to kind of go deeper on that if if you want to uh, dig deeper. So why is it hard to understand your context? Because yeah. You're living, you're working, you know what you're doing, but... Yeah, I, I, I think and there's, there's a lot of uh, cognitive biases which, which make it a lot harder for us to uh, think more broadly and also to balance uh, different kinds of information. Um, my background is in cognitive science and I've, I've always loved uh, social psychology. And there's this uh, one uh, effect uh, called the fundamental attributional bias, which uh, in particular really stuck with me. And uh, if we really simplify it, uh, it comes down to the fact that we, we can't help but to try to make sense of the world and we do it with the information that we have on hand. So uh, if we imagine that we're, uh, we're late to work and uh, you know, someone from our family got hurt and we're rushing to the hospital and we bump into someone, and the question is, how do we interpret that after the fact? We say like, well, you know, like I'm a nice person. I would never usually do that, but these are very specific uh, circumstances. But if we're walking along and someone bumps into us, you know, it's, it's very natural for us to be like, wow, that, that's a really rude person. They just like bumped into us and just kept on going, didn't even look back. And it's because uh, we have a lot of information readily available about our own context, but not a lot about this other person. Uh, and the same is often true for us as individuals, as professionals, and for companies as a whole, where there is some information which is very readily available and obvious and others which aren't. And uh, sometimes we take the short path and that leads us astray. Um, I think a lot of that is visible with, uh, for example, founders or leaders where there's incredible pressure for performance at, at a given moment. Um, and quite often, uh, the data that's readily available might be, for example, business intelligence data. So, uh, or, you know, your best customers and, and that's, what's right there. But it, um, if you have a hammer, everything's a nail. So, so you might over-focus on that information while ignoring the broader, uh, market context. 
which is often the more powerful uh, force, right? Like we like to think that it's like it's us doing everything and all the outcomes are because of the choices we made. Um, and then of course we have, like we can definitely affect outcomes, but, uh, but the bigger context is like a major sea, like you can swim in it, but the waves are, are tossing you left and right. And someone who's wise understands the difference between the two. Um, there's actually some really interesting research as well. It was from a book. I just, I, I can't remember the particular study, but, um, but they analyzed the mistakes that experts make most and ignoring base rates is, is that mistake. So if you're an expert, you know a lot about an area, then you tend to overvalue uh, the impact of a lot of detail for the whole. And you kind of ignore the fact that, you know, like all these details, they make the 5% or 10% or 20% difference. It might be critical uh, when you're performing at your highest, but like you can't forget that 80% is, is not those details. It's, it's some pretty simple things and it's often um, major processes that are happening in the market, in the industry, uh, and so forth. Yeah, like that's a theme that always pops up, like almost in all interviews that I have. Oh, yeah? But if you get the fundamentals right and the basics and you really focus on that, you will have a much better results than if you would start looking for some hacks or whatever. Because mm -hmm. it always goes back to the fundamentals. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and it's, it's fundamentals that allow you to make those selections. So it's not that hacks or you know, tips or strategies are bad. It's, they are a toolkit, um, but it's having really strong fundamentals and understanding which allow you to select the optimal ones uh, in a given moment. It's uh, kind of like having you know, like a supercar. Like if you're not a race car driver, you're, you know, like it doesn't matter, right? Like you're, you're not gonna be able to turn the wheel the right uh, you know, angle, start braking or accelerating at the right moment. It doesn't matter that you have the supercar. Uh, but if you have the fundamentals, then you can really leverage the right tactics at the right time. Yeah, I love it. And how can people better understand the context that they are in? How can they yeah. deal with those biases and everything? Yeah, I, I think there's a number of things there and it all starts with uh, understanding that you have them. So, so really um, thinking about the unknown unknowns. Um, a, a good one is, is trying to make a checklist of yourself uh, or, or use, there's lots of different frameworks, right? But uh, there's a reason why industries like no-fail industries, like you know, spacecraft, space launch or, or aircraft, like they use checklists all the time. And it's because they're very effective, right? They, they allow you to step back, use a framework to kind of check um, all the different angles or perspectives. Uh, so I, I definitely use something like if you're a business leader, you might want to use something like the business model canvas. And, and maybe you're spending all of your time obsessing about pricing because that's what got you to this stage of growth. Um, but I, I think you asked like, you know, when in particular is it dangerous to, you know, you might, why is it so hard to understand context? It's because it's changing all the time. So even if you, if you make that effort at one time to really understand, then like you don't get to do it once and you walk away. And that's particularly true for leaders in high growth companies because they're changing context all the time. Uh, when, even if you're a CEO, when you, when you take your company from early seed MVP to series A, series B, uh, your title stays CEO, but you're doing a very different role. The things that matter, the things that make you successful are different. Uh, and it kind of makes me think of, uh, it's I think the, the Peter principle, where you kind of end up stuck in the role that you're worst at, because uh, if you were 
the skills that were really good for you to be a technical contributor, you know, don't necessarily make you a good manager. What makes you a good manager doesn't necessarily make you a good leader. And it's the same thing for companies. Like at the company level, the company might excel at, uh, I don't know, uh, conversion rate optimization. And that might take it to one stage. That might be a good strategy at one stage of its growth. But then it needs to find a new market. And like you can't optimize past that. It's a local maxima and you need a different set of skills. And that's a situation where you, you had understanding of your context and you were doing very well because you could use that understanding to pick the right tactics. And then the situation changed. So you have to reevaluate at a regular cadence. Uh, so to go back to answer your question, you know, like two, two pieces of advice I have is uh, one to have some form of, it doesn't matter what you use, like it can be a checklist, it can be a business model canvas, like whatever, but have something that you can use to uh, remind yourself about different perspectives on a topic. Uh, try to reevaluate at a regular basis, just put a recurring event in your calendar so that you don't like get lost in the flow and you know, forget to, to take a look at the outside, what's happening out there. Um, and, and finally, it's, it's other people, right? So there, there was this really great set of studies, uh, I think it was a couple years back, um, released by Google. Like their HR teams uh, analyzed which teams, what makes high-performing teams. And in large part, they found that it wasn't uh, in the highest-performing individuals, it was uh, the level of trust and cohesion within the team and the level of diversity of uh, experience and perspective. Uh, so one way to close your blind spots is to make sure that you're interacting regularly and asking for perspective and really listening to people that might have different viewpoints than your own. Yeah, I think the keyword there is really listening because many business owners, they, yeah, they have that diversity in their team, <laughs> but they believe that they know the answers and yeah, they don't listen to feedback from others, mm. but that's why you are hiring smart people to really give you that advice. Mm. Yeah. And it's, and it's tricky because often when, when they, when they listen, aren't the moments when, you know, they, they may know and when they don't is, is when they might want to, uh, and you know, like I've, I've, I've been a founder and, uh, you know, like I've definitely fallen for the same traps and I'm not saying uh, if I, start another company and then was really successful, I wouldn't fall for it again. It's just very, it's very difficult because in, in the moment when you get a very strong external feedback and proof that you've mastered the skill, that skill very quickly stops, potentially stops being relevant. So like if you, and that's often for, for startup founders, that's often raising a, a round of uh, funding. So, so you, you, you perfect a skill to make your company work very well at a certain stage, and that allows you to raise funding. And then you have this incredible boost and validation, but it also means that now right away, you raise the funding to transform your company, to change it, to change its basic mechanics. So, so whatever you were doing before that you mastered, like it might not be relevant anymore in where you need to go. So, so that might, the moment where you feel most confident and the most like you might not need advice might be the moment when you, you do need the advice the most. Uh, I'm not sure I know the answer to that. So, uh, like I said, it's, it's all very contextual and the blind spots for me might be different than the blind spots for you. And if I told you like, Hey, you need these three things, like that would be running contrary to what I told you at the very beginning, where it's like, Hey, if someone gives you universal advice, they, they might be full of shit, you know? Um, 
But what I can what I can tell you is that you can create your checklists by really reflecting, right? Like reflect on when you got things wrong. Like reflect on when you identified blind spots. Ask people whose advice you trust. Like, hey, like what's like how would you describe the way that I look at the world? And what are some of the things that might be blind spots for me? And then you might get an answer. You might say, like, hey, like you're you're highly analytical and you know you understand the markets really well, but you sometimes uh, ignore the interhuman elements, uh, you know, the politics at play around you. Like, okay, that's a great answer. Like, sounds like on my checklist, you know, I need to say like, hey, consider the team dynamics, uh, consider the interpersonal relationships involved, and, and make sure that I don't get stuck in um, in what I do, you know, best. Maybe like that that analytical aspect. Um, so, and, and also that, that helps you like close that gap. So like, the, this is actually a process I went through like, uh, six or seven years ago when, uh, you know, I realized I had this big gap and, uh, by seeking feedback, by listening, I became aware of it. And, um, initially it was a huge challenge because we all like doing things we're good at. So like, we tend to focus on that and that actually contributes to the blind spot. Uh, but it was also a challenge because like, wow, this is hard. And it, it's really by focusing on it, it helped me to, um, after a while, it becomes second nature to do that like check. It's kind of like you're, you're doing your shoulder check when you're driving a car and you're like, okay, like, hey, we're, just, we're, like, we're all good. You know, like, what are the relationships? And, uh, and it's, very, it's very fulfilling to be able to close that kind of gap. I love this answer. Like really, from the start that you started talking about it, yeah, does that, that one uh, hit home, I guess, a little bit? Or, yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Nice. It hit home perfectly. And yeah, I want to also talk with you about looking at the business holistically. Because mm. whether you're a founder or yeah, a C, yeah, someone in the C-suite or a different department, you look oftentimes at only your piece of the business. So why is it important to look holistically at everything, no matter what your role is? Yeah, I, I think I've been very uh, lucky in, in my career uh, that I, for, the, for bad and for good, I skipped a lot of the entry level work. It, it meant that I had to drink from the fire hose and I made some great big mistakes, but in, in the beginning, uh, because I was a, a co-founder at, at Micrometrics very early on in, in my career. Uh, but it also allowed me to start learning about the strategic elements and the business elements uh, very early on and, and basically throughout my, my whole career. Um, and what's really interesting, I mean, like the system always uh, wins, right? Like what we're trying to do when we're, uh, when we're creating a company is we're creating a system. And uh, it's really within that Google study I cited. It's like, it's not enough. Like you can't just take a top performer, put them in a team and have that team perform. Uh, the right team beats, beats the individual, uh, contributor. That's a top expert, um, every time. So, uh, again, like it's when getting too deep into, uh, optimizing a single piece kind of misses the fact that. That's just the detail which has an important impact, but a small impact, a huge impact is the coordination of the whole. Um, and, and, you know, like this was, this was really apparent uh, in a fairly recent role I had at Trend Micro, uh, which is a large cybersecurity provider. And, and I was focused on their enterprise business. So I was talking a lot to uh, chief information security officers at very large companies. 
companies with you know budgets the size of you know small countries and, and stuff like that. And and it's really interesting that those people, those CISOs, uh, rarely cared about best of breed point solutions. Like they were building systems. Uh, they cared about coverage. They cared about the interconnection of all the individual pieces. They cared about economies and uh, probabilities uh, of risk. Um, and then that's really what uh, a very successful uh, leader does is that they take care of the system uh, rather than focusing on individual parts. And, and that system will always win. And I can think of a million analogies, right? You know, like a, uh, a, a good soccer team will, you know, like you can't take Ronaldo and, and pitch them him against a team of people, right? Like he's a, a really amazing addition to a team, but that team has to be well-oiled and coordinated. Uh, and that's when we get into strategy. Like, what, what is strategy to me? One of the biggest things is it's this equation with multiple interrelated variables where, where you can't really just uh, change something within marketing and expect the whole system to uh, be unaffected. Like, uh, the, the kind of go-to-market that you choose dictates uh, what kind of product you need. It dictates the pricing model. It uh, dictates... Um, your your business model, the, the kind of partnerships, uh, and vice versa. So you're you're always optimizing across the whole thing, and uh, when you don't, you just get incredible inefficiencies. You can have a great, potentially great go-to market, for example, but it's it's completely at odds with your pricing or your product. Um, and, and there's lots of books about that, right? For for example, looking at like there's a dead zone in terms of size between uh, large deal sizes with complex systems kind of approach where you're selling to few customers, you're selling a highly customized product and you're getting huge margin and uh, certain kinds of approaches might make sense there where you need a product that's very robust, it needs a lot of features, it needs to be highly customizable. Uh, your average deal size and LTV is high enough to leverage things like account-based marketing which can work really well. Uh, your typical closing cycle is long. Uh, it's a very different situation than if you're doing running a complex, or if you're running a volume operations business, and then what you're doing is you're you're selling at mass volume and like try using ABM there. It's like okay, like that doesn't work. Your customers are probably quite small. They're buying you because you're super easy and fast to set up and cheap, <laughs> and 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 you're using a, a totally different strategy. And and your go-to market has to be extremely efficient because like you just can't spend the same for leads. And, and, and that's just one example. This, this holds to every single function. So you can go into mergers and acquisitions and uh, you know, it'll be interconnected in the exact same way. You can go into finance or, or even HR, right? Like you can't, you can't sustain a very large, um, like you might have a much smaller uh, marketing team if you're going for a volume play. Then, then you might, uh, you know, are you going to have dedicated sales and, and what's the structure of that sales team? Uh, so when we talk about leaders, like you said, like be a B2B leader, not B2B manager, but a B2B leader. So what does this leader need to do? Like, do they need to do work themselves? Like, well, probably not. They need to build the system. They're, they're building the machine, which will succeed. And building the machine means choosing the parts, sure. But the biggest part is how will they interconnect? And how are they all justified in the context of the goal that we're trying to accomplish? Yeah, and the true leader, I would say, has to be a great communicator because if their work impacts the whole business and other areas, they have to yeah mm. navigate the change. 
Like oh, a hundred percent. Like they, and like they, they generally have to align everyone. Uh, and a, a big part of that is creating that alignment between functions so that they understand their interrelationships. Um, every company I've ever worked at had some level of siloing. And like, I think, you know, everyone has experienced this. And it's, it's not necessarily bad uh, to a certain extent. Like you're, you can't have everyone talk to everyone, but mostly, quite often, it's it's roles that really should be talking to each other that that you know don't or or that are prevented from doing that. Um, and to counter that, you have to help them understand each other's perspectives, and and you also, it's not very efficient talking to everyone all the time. So you need to instill a shared mental model and a shared language that allows people to be coordinated, even if they, they're not coordinating directly. Yeah. So would you say that it's the job of, a, yeah, of the CEO to create this model to ensure um, that all those, par yeah, all those departments communicate with each other and are aligned? Uh, I'd say there's a very big element. I mean, the CEOs take on, like there's not a super defined <laughs> it's not as much of a defined role. Um, uh, we just talked about earlier how the role of the CEO uh, changes depending on you know the company size and the situation, and how in high growth companies and in startups in particular that role changes throughout. Like you don't get a title change, you know, when your when your startup goes from like trying to get early traction and figure out product market fit to scaling or you know uh, adding new product lines, but like your your role does change. Um, I've, I've never been a CEO. I've been in a, in a C-level position at a company I co-founded, uh, but I've also been in many startups where I got to observe, uh, CEOs and co-founders quite closely. Um, and, and I think they have a major impact on this, uh, together with their overall management team. Uh, they're definitely... I, I think the COO is, is also a, a very important role for, for this aspect. Like they're explicitly um, tasked with, with these kinds of efficiencies, but it's typically the CEO, which uh, has a strong leadership element in culture and also in setting direction. So quite often they're the ones that have to make it a goal for the company to uh, have that overarching understanding and, and that coordination between teams, departments, roles. Um, and they're leading the culture, right? So if a, if a company has a culture of deep collaboration and, and shared understanding, then, you know, that's going to, has to come from somewhere and probably yeah. from the top. Yeah. Like with all the individual contributors see that, yeah, the whole management works together, that they are mm -hmm. aligned and communicate often and open with each other, then they will just follow. Like I've seen it in the company that I work at and at a few other companies that yeah, the CEO and his attitude towards people has a massive impact on the whole company's culture mm -hmm. just because people feel how they can behave. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing with company values that, yeah, some people said it, but you have to really practice it if you mm -hmm. want to make it work. Yeah, every every company has uh, some you know nice looking values on their website, but uh, you know you still have to live it. Yeah, uh, I I think the other thing is you know like if uh, if there's any uh, friction or competition between uh, top level leaders, as you know that that really has a huge negative impact if uh, 
if uh, managers or individual contributors, you know, uh, they will pick up that they're kind of in a camp that's, you know, potentially competing for resources or, or you know, has, is not aligned with other groups and, uh, you know, both the good and the bad propagate all the way down yeah. into the organization. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Tomek, one last question for today. Like, mm -hmm. What's the biggest takeaway from our conversation? What would you like people to understand? <laughs> I, I think context is key, is uh, the takeaway. So, uh, and, and also like that need for, for reflection. It's, it's very easy to get caught up in the moment, uh, in the needs of today. Uh, very many companies are, are always, you know, struggle, you know, striving hard to, to meet uh, this quarter's objective or whatever it may be. But, uh, um, but it's important to reflect on a regular basis and, and kind of check yourself against the context. And like, am I, am I doing the things which are truly important and uh, where are my blind spots? Yeah. So start preparing your checklist. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and where can people find you and how can you help them? Uh, well, people can find me on, on LinkedIn. Um, uh, I'm actually quite interested in, in continuing some of the uh, advisory uh, work that I'm doing already with, uh, with some startups. Uh, so I'm, I'm open to, to those kinds of roles and, and I've been doing a little bit more uh, mentoring recently. Uh, also always happy just to talk shop uh, anyone that, that's interested in, in kind of strategy, insights, uh, roles, research, analytics, uh, startups in general. Awesome. So thank you very much for today. It was a pleasure to have you. And I really like that way you talked about business from a different lens than just yeah strategy, execution, strategy, execution. Yeah, this was great. Uh, thanks for having me, Felician. Thank you for listening to this episode of Be a B2B Leader. If you liked this episode, make sure to leave a review in your favorite podcast app. Also, if there is something you would like to learn, let me know. After all, we are building a knowledge base for B2B.